Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Dr. Margaret Klein-Salmon, a clinical psychologist and the founder of The Climate Mobilization, where she helped pioneer the Climate Emergency Declaration Campaign. She's the author of Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth, an invaluable resource and guide that each of us needs to save our planet and thus save ourselves. Dr. Margaret Klein-Salomon, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I am just really uh, appreciative. I think this is so critically important to have this conversation. We're really at, at a precipice, but there's also such hopefulness in what you share with us through your work, through your book, which is Facing the Climate Emergency. And that's really the focus here is our climate, that we're in an emergency. That's not the only emergency. And I wonder how these things interweave with each other. Of course, the other emergency being the COVID pandemic. Do you see that there's uh, these paths are kind of converging and maybe... Um, there's some benefit in it? I I absolutely do view them as highly intersecting. I, I would I would add the uh also the mass uprisings uh we're seeing across the country in term uh against racism and police brutality. Um which so it feels like and and the um constitutional crisis, uh the the crisis of our democracy that uh, and these crises have all been brewing uh, for some time, I mean, the pandemic is new, but uh, our vulnerability to pandemics is not. And uh, they are making themselves more and more apparent, um, kind of forcing a kind of societal reckoning, which is necessary. So it is both a kind of gathering storm, but hopefully we can tip it and there are certainly positive signs, though there's also plenty of opposition, but to, to tip this, to leverage these emergencies into transformative change. And I completely agree with you regarding COVID that there, yeah, there's, there's incredible opportunities here. I, and the most important thing to me, the, the critical thing that I'm seeing is we are making drastic interventions in our economy in order to protect human life. And it, not to say it's been a perfect response, but virtually every institution has made huge accommodations, you know, virtually shutting down for, uh, temporarily many, you know, universities, businesses, office buildings, whatever. Everything, everything has changed in just, in just a, a few weeks because of the threat to life. And, you know, in the climate space, it can feel so much like people don't care about protecting life, that we're just barreling towards this catastrophe, this collapse, and people are largely ignoring it, not talking about it, acting as normal. And yeah, it can be very disheartening, like, okay, we, we are seemingly caring about the economy and profit so much more than, than mass death and, and devastation. And so to see the opposite, to see how you know, flexible and under our control the economy truly is, 
we make the rules, not the other way around. Uh, it, it shows that we can do the same for climate. We can have an emergency intervention, again, because life is more important than money. Life is more important than the economy. We need to create an economy that serves life, not the other way around. And I think that in this case, we have seen some of that transformation occur, that certainly life is more important than money, although I think there are people who would argue the other way around, yeah. right? Uh, but with what we've seen happening in response to the pandemic, how industries have transformed themselves to adapt to that and, and really kind of resurface like the phoenix. Absolutely. The, one of the great things about people is that we're so adaptable. People are made to change and grow. We're, there, we are not, human nature is not a static uh, thing. So many institutions and people have really risen to the challenge of the COVID pandemic and have treated it like the emergency that it is. Obviously not all. The federal government uh, has been a, you know, very failed, has had a very failed response. But um, the ability to say, whoa, 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 stop everything, suspend normal operations, we, we need to address this. We cannot go on as usual. That is even more true for the climate emergency than for the coronavirus. I mean, tr truthfully, when we, when we weigh these risks up against each other, they're not even close. And the coronavirus is, you know, obviously it's visceral and it's right now. It's whereas the climate emergency is now and also a little bit in the future, not nearly as far away as many people think. Um, one thing I, I, I think uh, I'm very pleased about, if that is this in the right word, is that the public is getting an education um, on exponential risk. The The fact that certain phenomena like pandemics and the climate emergency uh, build, they, they start small and they build up and then they shoot up and start accelerating. And that is it, or, or their acceleration really uh, becomes, you know, just explodes. And that is both the trajectory of the coronavirus and the climate emergency. And what it means is, early intervention is, is so critically important. And with the climate emergency, oh my gosh, we are so far gone um, that we are over the cliff and we need to hit reverse, not, not the brakes, we need to hit reverse as quickly as humanly possible. So, and, and every day, that we wait every day that we continue to put carbon emissions into the atmosphere, we are moving on that curve uh, straight into the collapse of civilization and the sixth mass extinction of species.
And this is uh, that phrase uh, that we are really have been accelerating toward extinction. I think that's a, a word that people, uh, extinction of civilization, we're not uh, re- wanting to really comprehend that. Or maybe it, it's just we go into some sort of shock, which you and your uh, work as a clinical psychologist, you saw how that was a part of what happens with us. Absolutely. Whether there is a risk with the climate emergency of human extinction is somewhat hotly debated, but really the key risk is the collapse of civilization and and deaths of billions of people. And it's, I mean, horrifically, we can already see it happening, such as in Syria, where they had the longest drought in their history, and subsistence farmers could no longer make a living on their farms, so they moved uh, in large numbers into cities that were not really prepared uh, for them. And you know, the Pentagon, Pentagon calls the climate a threat multiplier. So existing uh, political, religious, cultural tensions were also inflamed by these by this uh, destabilization. And, you know, that look at, like, behold the horror of the breakdown of civilization. That's what it looks like. Climate is a um, critical underlying factor, but then elements like chaos, war, violence, uh, resource wars, those are, you know, what plays out the kind of human manifestations of the climate emergency. And it's what we need to realize is that it is so bad. It is nightmarishly bad. I I call it the apocalypse. And we need to realize that even though it's hard, even though it's painful, even though we might go into some kind of shock or feel overwhelmed and feel hopeless and grieving, that's all normal and, and healthy. And we need to proactively process that. Part of a huge part of our job here is, I mean, here on this planet, right? Humans that are alive at this time, especially Americans who are alive at this time, to reckon with the climate emergency and intellectually as well as emotionally. And by recognizing just how bad, how apocalyptic the trajectory we are currently on is, is necessary because it allows us to realize just how huge and transformative our response must be. And I think this is really critical because I think the climate movement has been settling for decades for, you know, these gradualism, these ideas like, oh, a carbon price that will, you know, gradually shift market incentives. That has been the main approach to climate. Yeah, these kind of market nudges where we don't have to be limited to those kind of gradualist policy uh, prescriptions. We can and should and must ban all new fossil fuel infrastructure, every pipeline, every export terminal, every processing facility, 
ban all new fossil fuel infrastructure, all new exploration, and set a short timetable for sunsetting, early, early retirement of our existing fossil fuel capacity. Again, you hear these people say, oh, well, when a new coal plant is built, you know, it has a 50-year lifespan or whatever, so you, we, can't, we can't shut them down early. And it's like, oh, yes, we can. This is, I, I mean, such a huge part of this process is for us, we the people, to recognize that this is an emergency and that we have the power to transform our government, economy, and society. And I think if we allow ourselves to think which in facing the climate emergency in your book, you help us to process through this. But using the example then of the coal plants, we have that, we can look at this. Okay, they have this 50-year lifespan, and then what? What have we done to ourselves? Whereas we shut it down now, and what kind of a life can we see for ourselves? We will have life because we have a more sustainable, a healthier planet climate to live in. Yes, which, right, which matters more, the lifespan of a coal plant or the lifespan of the people alive today, right? Yes. Like, I, yeah, we're, we're just acting so <laughs> insanely as a, as a collective. Um, many, many individuals understand the situation but don't necessarily understand how to create transformative change, though... Thankfully, there's also a movement, a climate emergency movement that is working on just that. And I think that what we perhaps have been given, if we want to look at it as a gift, in seeing how we have had some transformation through this pandemic, we see that we are commuting less. We've seen how you know people say around the world how they're able to see the sky, clean air that they haven't seen since they can't even remember when. And, and we see how we are, are driving less, there's less commuting, so... Here, too, we see that fewer accidents, that sort of thing. And it's almost then a little reflective of what, because you use the example of needing to respond as we did uh, at the time of World War II. We see that kind of effect as what happened then. So I don't think the, the COVID response is not nearly on the scale of World War II, uh, just to be clear. I mean, during World War II, we spent 40% of our GDP at the peak of the war, not, not government spending, 40% of the whole country's GDP on the war. It was a totally, totally all-out effort. I do think that in the COVID response, we are seeing some elements of, of that. But I think uh, it's, I, I mean, World War II mobilization is just so huge, which is why I do rely on it as a as a metaphor, because the the kind of sweeping changes and immediate changes, not phased in over decades, but we need to do this now to every industry and you know corner of the country and involved every person, all hands on deck. It's really an important model because with neoliberalism and the idea there is no alternative, you know, only the market 
we, we have, there's such limited interventions we can do, um, and they all have to be market-based. These, these kinds of ideas are wrong in so many ways, and history, um, especially the World War II example, clearly disproved them. There's, you know, we can, we can build our economy in a thoughtful way and uh, a just way, and not <laughs> in a way that... Uh, it's currently done. A, a, a way we can we can build an economy and a society that is oriented towards uh, protecting life, uh, helping humanity thrive and individual people thrive. And but it's going to take uh, us all stepping up to a to a new really level of responsibility, civic responsibility, and the sense that given how absolutely broken things are now and that our, our course, our current course is catastrophic, there is a moral imperative for individuals to take on the mantle of leadership, meaning talking about the climate emergency, responding to the climate emergency, as, as Extinction Rebellion says, tell the truth and act like that truth is real. So, and by, by doing that, by really in facing the climate emergency and transforming yourself with climate truth, you lead others. They, they look at you and they say, hmm, wow, that's, I, I really see, I really see what they're doing. And it, it helps them wake up from the trance of denial and normalcy and gradualism. And so, so yeah, so that's what I really, really want to encourage listeners and readers to do is, is say, this climate emergency is not going to fully unfold on my watch. I, I'm just going to do everything I can to turn this around. And you have been dedicating your life now as you had your transformation to really become solidly aware of it and created climate mobilization. That is the website. You've written the book, as I mentioned, Facing the Climate Emergency. These are all tools that if if we're not sure what exactly we need to do, this is great guidelines. So, yeah, the Climate Mobilization is a political advocacy organization that calls for World War II scale climate mobilization, a a huge all-hands-on-deck mobilization in response to the climate emergency. And through uh, doing that for the past five years, uh, moving that platform forward in different ways, most uh, successfully through the our climate emergency declaration campaign. Climate emergency has been officially declared in more than 1,500 governments worldwide, uh, mainly local, but also nations like Bangladesh and Portugal and Canada have declared a climate emergency, um, many of which call for World War II-scale climate mobilization that decarbonizes the entire economy in 10 years or less. That's our uh, you know, kind of rule of thumb timeline for evaluating uh, policy and advocacy that it, we want to 
fully eliminate emissions in years, not decades. So the climate mobilization, uh, yeah, has been has been really leading the way, leading leading the climate movement, and now hopefully the public into emergency mode and really pushing to raise the level of urgency and speed and truth in uh, the movement's communications and demands. And yeah, that's been very successful. Um, we now have a climate emergency movement with, you know, the school strikers and Extinction Rebellion and the Sunrise Movement and the climate emergency campaigning. And that is really new. And it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful development because it's exactly what we need. And through the book and my other efforts, I'm really now trying to turn to the public and especially to leaders in people who are really making change and, and, and kind of shaping their communities uh, to, to say, you know, look at what this movement is doing. You need to get, you need to take your place in this movement. This, I mean, or, or else you're going to be on the wrong side of history here. You know, this is, this is our time. And yeah, my hope is to just really, really, really expand and help build power for that new movement. And the book and as a result of the book or with the book, uh, people have an opportunity to create, become part of a book club and really be able to, I think, become in, more informed, feel more solid about this, find who their uh, co-conspirators or collaborators are in this to really be able to move forward and, and gain momentum. Absolutely. The single most often reported emotion from people who come to discussions about the climate emergency or just who I talk to who live in climate truth, they say they feel so alone. They feel so alienated. No one understands. My family doesn't understand. They think I'm a weirdo. They think I'm chicken little. This, this kind of experience is so normal. I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking to people about it. This, and bringing a group together to face this emergency and the pain and challenges that it brings in fellowship, doing it together is so helpful. It's so, it feels so good. It, it provides so much um, moral support, so much courage, so much validation. And, you know, reading the book, I I hope gives readers some of that, you know, it's kind of a dialogue, uh, hopefully reading the book feels like a dialogue between the two of us, um, but there's no, there's no substitute for, I, I, want, I want readers to be able to be heard, be able to share their feelings and, and th what they see in the future and, and how they're coping with it and, and working to uh, protect humanity and the living world and, and how they're, and just, you know, this, it's a journey, right? Joining this movement, finding your place in it, figuring out, you know, facing climate truth, grieving, joining the movement. 
it's it's not at all obvious or easy to figure out what you should do and to find your way. It's it's actually quite challenging. So to be supported in that is really important. Absolutely. And here's a great start. You can actually get to read the first chapter of the book and and I I would say get hooked because uh, it's going to really be that engaging. So we get have that opportunity and, and really to um, learn a lot more uh, about the climate mobilization. Right, Dr. Solomon? Absolutely. At facingtheclimateemergency.com, you can get that free chapter and check it out. And at theclimatemobilization.org, you can uh, see the organization's work and uh, sign up to organize, join a campaign, or uh, volunteer. So all of that is that that support that where we might feel we're drifting alone, we find those people who are like-minded and help us to engage others uh, within our circle because we are in this emergency, that precipice. It's it's right there. I find it hopeful because I think we've been talking about the precipice for, for decades. And to think that we still have an inch of hope but we have to act. I mean, there is no time to lose now. Absolutely. And a great place to start is by having conversations. Break the silence. Talk about it. Hear what other people have to say. Talk about it from a personal perspective. This is how I feel about the climate emergency. Where are you at with it? And one thing that you find when you do that is other people are really worried, too. And that really has been your experience, hasn't it? That as you spoke, have spoken with people that they say, yeah, this is really a a horrible place that we're in right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Yale Climate Communications uh, does all this polling and they have talked about the spiral of silence, meaning Americans are quite concerned about the climate emergency, alarmed even, but they don't talk about it and they don't hear about it. I mean, the the statistics are really disturbing that only 25% of Americans hear about climate from someone they know once a month or more, okay? 75% of Americans are hearing about climate less than once a month from someone they know. It's like it doesn't even exist. This is the apocalypse and nobody's talking about it. So breaking the silence can have a really outsized impact because then other people say, oh, wow, you're allowed to talk about climate. You know, this is, this is okay. This is, you, don't have to, you don't have to have a PhD in uh, climate science. The, I, I can make this my issue too because I've been really worried. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just a great place to start. Um, and, of course, yeah, re- I, I wrote this book. I wrote Facing the Climate Emergency to, to help people cope with this because it is so hard and to critically turn that pain into action, including 
emphasizing talking with others, uh, especially within your network, you know, people who you, you trust and trust you. And, and then really looking for your place in the climate emergency movement. And be that force of change, and then it becomes that ripple effect, and we will get to the tipping point where we can be a positive force of change. Absolutely. Come join the team. We are fighting for all life. And you are leading a great charge. Dr. Solomon, I'm so grateful that you have this passion, that you are focusing it uh, on what is so critically important to our life, and that you've spent this time with us this morning. Thanks again for having me. You're very Great welcome. conversation. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Dr. Margaret Klein-Salomon and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Sanam Yafiz. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast. It's on our Warm 1069 webpage. You can just click on the podcast tab, then Sunday mornings, and then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of realizing we are important. Our voice is critically important. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.